Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. Please enjoy this classic clip, which is available in full at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars. So you go to see The Phantom Menace, you were disappointed. At what point did the idea to re-edit a version come about? Well, I think what I mentioned earlier is I was kind of already doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, like even just doing, messing with the, uh, because the digital stuff was allowing. But when we were, uh, when you go to film school, one of the things that they do in many schools is they give you pieces of unedited footage of things and they ask you to re-edit them. And so 30 kids in a class will reinterpret something that somebody else shot. You get all the dailies and then you project it and each one has a different take to it. And so uh, one of the things I did was re-edit an episode of Gunsmoke that they gave us the dailies. And you could put your own soundtrack in and stuff. This is projects that we did in school. Mm-hmm. So that was always kind of out there anyway. But um, there is a, a Halloween movie. Uh, it was Halloween 6 that was originally supposed to be written by Quentin Tarantino. And there's a rumor that he wrote the script and they said it wasn't very good. So they went somewhere else. I doubt that's true. I've never been able to f- confirm that Quentin Tarantino. I knew he wanted to do it, though. And... Uh, Everyone was eBay. desperate to do Halloween yeah, 6. Yeah, And uh, eBay, of course, came into existence. And some friends of mine that were in a band said, hey, have you seen Halloween 666? And I was like, what the hell is that? And it was what they were labeled as a producer's cut. And at that time, it was to say that the director had made a cut of the movie with temp audio and everything in it. And they probably screened it because it had a time code burning at the bottom. And uh, the movie got changed. It changed into what came out in the theater. But when you see the producer's cut, it's better. I mean, it's not a great movie, but it certainly was the first time I really get to see a different perspective of the same movie and how that was so much better than what came out in the theater and the curiosities of why, you know, Mm -hmm. why why that was. So I was always aware that it existed, but never before, you know, would I ever get to see something like that. Um, So maybe that planted it into my mind. Yeah. And then seeing it in the movie theater... Because I was working, you know, as an editor, and I had gone to school and was doing that anyway, um, the fact that it was not entertaining to me, and I had bought three tickets for three different nights, presented the opportunity to just sit in the movie theater. And because I wasn't getting entertained, I just start saying, "Why am I not getting entertained? What about that? What's this about?" And you just start running it through my head, and it's almost like I think you've had other people on your show talk about how you just, in your mind, being that, since the movie wasn't providing the audience experience, uh, you my brain took over and started re-editing it, you know? Yeah. And then, so, the the VHS version come out. Yeah. It's crazy that you did it on the VHS tape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what was your process to do that? Uh, I, uh, earlier, there the DV technology came out, which was basically a, a camcorder that would do all the uh, compression into digital um, onto tape. And that provided the fact that your computer didn't have to be very powerful to edit full-screen video. So I took the VHS tape that came out 
dumped it onto a mini DV cassette in sections. And uh, it was really at the cusp of the time when being able to edit a feature film on a personal computer was relatively impossible. Um, and it just happened to be that a hard drive became available with just enough space, uh, 20 gigs, to hold enough of the movie. And I would do little parts at a time because when I had moved to California, I was seeking employment. You know, you have jobs, you don't have jobs. And instead of sitting at home playing video games, that's just the way I was amusing myself. And had you come to California to be an editor? I uh, came here because I, start, I wrote a movie and uh, I started working on it back there uh, in Illinois. And it kind of falls apart because people's uh, interests were just different. Here's people want to make movies. There people wanted to just be famous. Um, so, uh, I had a friend out here and he said, come and stay with me and see what you think of it. And so I just kind of came here with the whole idea of maybe I would just push that project to be here in California. Mm -hmm. But what happens is of course you have to learn how to survive for a while and during the survival time for fun on a Friday and Saturday night without money, I started re-editing the Phantom Menace. So then you would have put it back onto a videotape? Yeah. It mostly rested on the hard drive. You know, for a long because it never was one entire. It was pieces mm -hmm. for a long time, and I had a friend named Ryan who would come over, and he got a job at a place called Regent Entertainment, and uh, he kept looking at it all the time. And there was so much on there. He goes, "You know, you're just shy like ten minutes of the movie. You could put the whole thing on here, and I could like watch it. You know, and and so that's kind of where it came to be. And I sort of made it into a whole complete package with credits, with with everything on it." He took it to his work and started, he had been telling people at work about it, and uh, guys at work wanted to see it. They were just big fans, and he took a copy in, and uh, everybody was really respectful that they knew that there was some weird copyright infringement ideas floating around about that stuff. Napster had existed, and um, they would check it out for the weekend and watch it and have parties at their house. And guys would come over and drink beer and eat chips and watch this Phantom Edit, which it was always... That's one of the things that always comes up was people said it came to be known as the Phantom Edit, but it always was called that. That's even on the, the scroll. It was always yeah. called that. And so it started to get talked about and became like a little novelty thing in Hollywood. But that VHS, which was one VHS, got copied multiple times, and it was like one of these neat little viral video finds. And... There's, I guess, the the misconception of the edit is that Jar Jar Binks is not in it. Yeah, uh, Jar Jar Binks, Jar Jar Binks is in it. Yes, he but he's just a little bit less predominant. Yeah, that that coming from the idea that I think you talked about this on the show, the idea of fan edit was not a word that existed, um, and even at the beginning when it started being called that, I guess I was sort of offended uh, by it. And the idea being is that you, you know, you're a comedian, and it's, it's like, people, can't you just be a comedian? Why do you have to be a fan comedian? You know, that it y sort of adds something to it, which almost means less than. And I'm not saying that's the way it is now. I understand what it, but at that time, it would be like it almost was a look down its nose sort of thing that that, that came to be. And, um, but that, that's almost the internet and technology has sort of changed. Like, the power now that's right, is that's right. Yeah. Like, like, uh, I would maybe think that you would have had an easier time editing the Phantom Edit on your phone than how you did it originally. Did, no, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, and so, uh, what was it you originally... Uh, I went off on a tangent there. Uh, oh, it was just about, like, the, with Jar Jar being... Oh, and, yeah. And, and, so and, like, that, basically, what were the changes? The, the idea uh, of that is that I 
pretended as though uh, if you've ever worked with a director and if you've ever been an editor, the whole idea of editing is something that kind of gets knocked into the background. And almost politically, even in Hollywood, an editor is somebody that is very humble and might, uh, they spend all their hours and times and late hours with footage mulling over this stuff and suggesting ideas and stuff. Now, the classic idea is that, you know, the director comes in and has this whole big vision and you just assemble it. And that's the way it always was for years. But as time has gone on, that whole world, you know, the director could be out potentially even just working on another deal while the editor's working on stuff. So there certainly is a lot more collaboration than I think was ever uh, mentioned in, in the world of Hollywood. And so the idea of me sitting down with George Lucas is not something that was possible, but because I had read all of his philosophies and kind of studied that stuff, I thought he was fantastic at the way he spoke of films and why they didn't work and stuff. I just That's all stuff to hold on to. When I see The Phantom Menace, I see all of his flaws based on his own philosophies. So if you take that movie, and, and which is what I feel that I did, is just go through it based on his own rules, make the movie... As uh, keeping in the canon that it's a Star Wars movie, but hey, we've tested this. Why isn't this working? And tried to use his own rules on his own film. That would be the mission of it, not to take it and you know, like how come you never took Sam Jackson from Pulp Fiction and put lines in? I'm like, that's a novelty. That's that's something else. There's mm. nothing wrong with that. That's just not what the point was. Yeah. The point was to be like a real editor, where you've sat down with the person and go, tell me what you want. And I think that's why. Um, the Star Wars movies, when you um, see them, he gets a lot of credit for writing them, but I think that uh, those movies came to be kind of in the editorial uh, stage with his wife. His wife's being basically a genius about that stuff. And the other people that worked on it is they found what he wanted. He could say, this is what I want, and they made it for him, versus the Phantom Menace more feels like, this is what I want, and people literally, word for word, like they just did that, and that's not exactly the movies that we fell in love with, the kind of movies that we fell in love with. It's interesting that editing and one of the things you bring up is in you, I, I, I've talked about this on other episodes, but you do a commentary track, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Like it's, you know, like I, I think a lot of the subtleties of the edits that you do, like are easily, like I don't know the film that, photographically you know maybe for like one of the original films i'd be able to pick up on that stuff but for the phantom menace i especially now that i've probably watched it your version more than the uh the other version the just little the way people look at each other and and one of the main things which makes star wars the original one so good is you start a scene in the scene and you end before the scene finishes. Absolutely, yeah. Whereas with The Phantom Menace, he seemed to lack confidence in that and want to hyper-explain and show everything a little bit. Like, it sort of gave... Like, I, like this is totally off track, but in the late-night talk shows, like, I'm a letterman. And not Leno. Okay, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes and sense. one of the things I love about the Letterman show Me as too. a comedian is that he'll come out and talk to the audience beforehand. And then during the show, sometimes if something good happened before, he'll do a callback to it. And no one watching, the million people at home, no one knows what they're talking about. But it's like people in the audience are sure, laughing. Yeah. And it just, that I thought that was, you know, when you watch Star Wars for the first time when you're a little kid... That was the amazing thing was it was all set up as 
mon- like every day. It wasn't like, look at that. Like, I always say C-3PO walks past that crat dragon or crate dragon, whatever it is, in the desert, and there's no close-up of the That's dragon. Right. That's right. It's just in the background, and because it sort of makes the fantasy world more legit because it's not... Like, it's sort of set as the... Mon- like, he, C-3PO doesn't even glance at it. Like, and it just seemed like he lost that that confidence or something. I don't know, something about it where it was everything had to have long opening setups and almost like a pro wrestling-like staying with the character. You know, like in wrestling, like, you know, they'll they'll have an, like a, an interview and they'll have an argument mm-hmm. and then one person will walk off and then the camera will sort of just stay on the other person. Like yeah, and it was a little bit more like that. Um collecting interviews with George Lucas was something that I was really into. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is the one that I think is really, uh, this is something to really hold on to. You can just keep going back to, and he's doing an interview and there's a plant behind him. And I think you can see it featured on the um, return of the Jedi, like the story of a, uh, of a trilogy type. Uh, I, I think uh, it's from star Wars from, to Jedi yeah, there you go, from star Wars to Jedi. I think it's featured in that documentary. I have it. There's a clip of it on the, one of the star Wars edits that I have. Okay. Uh, if you go through and listen to it, but it's George Lucas saying the reason that other science fiction films, and, and this goes for many films, is because they want to feature the work that they generated. So they will stop telling the story to show the, the costumes, the work that was generated, and then proceed back into the story. And that's not plot. Plot is the story. That, and he explains the thing. And I mean, I held on to that so dearly because it's like, dude, you're right. If you watch Star Wars, there is no moment where that really cool thing that you've made in the background, you don't stop to go look at it and let me investigate and stuff. To this, this is everyday life for all these people. That's It's genius. Mm. So why would you do that in The Phantom Menace? By your own rules, stop in the movie to let Jar Jar do something silly to go back into the movie is stepping outside of the movie that you said is the most important thing. It's uh, you know, Maybe you've heard this theory on the episode you listened to, but that it's... Like George Lucas's life through filmmaking is Anakin Skywalker. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, getting consumed by technology and where it's... And and so many of those interviews before he started doing the new films was about... It's all about the story. You can't make it effects-driven. And, you know, so many films have fallen into that. And it's why do you think that he like? Do you think he just got so thrilled with what his company had developed, or like why do you? You've obviously put a lot of thought and heart into it. Why do you think what changed him? Obviously, everything is speculation, but the whole idea that um, are you a musician by any? uh... I'm. I'm. I am blatantly not a musician. The whole idea of like, if you're a musician and you record something, um, at that time when you record it, there's something very inspired about it. 
and uh, it's usually it's filled uh, with imperfections. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy named uh, Jonathan Kane, and he played uh, he was a keyboard player in Journey, and he did he did one of the songs uh, I think it's Faithfully, and it's a piano song, and he did one take while he was sick, and he kept complaining the whole time. It's awful. I played it awful, and you hear this song, and it's, it's he's amazing. But in his mind, he didn't see it that way. And I think, like if you have your senior picture from high school that you wish no one could ever see and make fun of you from, money and things allow you that kind of opportunity to sort of rewrite history. Uh, you know, anything about the, the, the Trotsky photos and everything where they would go through and remove um, Trotsky from the uh, photos as, as he was a guy who was the right hand. I'll, I'll get this wrong, but I think he was the right-hand man to Lenin. And... Uh, when Stalin took over, he would go back and take all the historical photos and paint out this person and made him into a basically rewrote history. Uh, and it's that's fascinating to me. And years yeah. ago, that went on exhibit. You could go and see these photos before and after. And it's completely fascinating, the, the whole idea of rewriting history. And I think that sort of thing is there are many things about Star Wars that were embarrassing to him. It was like his keyboard playing, his, his piano playing. It was not his best. He felt there was something perfect in there that he just never got. And time and money allowed him the opportunity to go back and like feel that that's what was wrong with it, and he was seeking it. I yeah. mean, there's something really neat ab- about that that most people never get that opportunity to do it. Mm. It's, it's weird because it's what's in his head that's like what he wanted to do mm-hmm. sort of haunts him. And there's a great piece of advice like in – Melbourne or in Australia, we have we have comedy festivals, and and if, for a comedian, you have to come up with a new hour every year to do in the festival. Like, and you know, it can be whatever you want. And you know, there's a great bit of advice that comedians will give, like older comedians, is like the audience doesn't know the bit that you forgot to do that night. Oh, that yeah, That's like right. they don't, they have no idea. Like, like when you go, oh, I forgot a bit, that breaks it. But if you just keep going. It doesn't, and like for us, growing up with the original trilogy, they like they were the films, and it's like there's a lot of debate, and there's documentaries being made, and and rants given about you know who owns Star Wars sure. inverted commas, and is it the fans that put him there? Is it the man that made it? Is it the company that purchased it for several billion dollars, and it's one thing to make the Phantom Menace not up to what you expected, but don't make us fall in love with a film and then later on go, oh, no, it's it's different. It, it's not the film that you fell in love with. At that time, I related it to something that was going on. I try to make relations to other things in everyday life than films. And Coke was a company that at the time, for some reason, must have been suffering uh, and Pepsi was beating them, and they decided that they were going to make Coke taste like Pepsi, and they put that out, but they just called it Coke. And when is, that, going, is that new Coke? Well, that's what it became to be. So what yeah. happened is... I, I, only, I only know about that because of The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, so, so they never ever said it's new Coke. They just would change it. So all of a sudden, I go into the gas station, I grab Coke, which is my favorite drink, you start drinking, go, what the hell is this? It's really different. And they don't... It doesn't say on there. There's nothing to let you know. It's like I, I said, it still says Star Wars on the box, but it's like something about the ingredients inside get changed and you buy it. Yes, you're buying Coke, but it certainly doesn't taste like that anymore. And what they ended up doing is people complained so much that they put Coke and called it Coke Classic and then made Coke 2 or New Coke, whatever the, 
the, the definitive was. So they had two products that they put out at a time, which generally Coke 2, New Coke just sort of faded out of existence, yeah. which is very much like these movies. The difference is, is he removed Coke Classic from existence like it never existed and replaced it with these new ones. I, 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 I'll mention this in a second, but I did actually get to go to a thing and, and sort of meet him. Uh, and we got to ask questions, like thousands of people there, and they gave us all cards to ask questions, and I asked two. But what, what era was this? When uh, you asked this them? is uh, Revenge of the Sith had just come out. Okay. And they were out doing kind of a little parade trying to convince movie theaters to switch to digital. Lots of, you know, there's a lot of pluses and distribution and things like that. And George Lucas was physically getting on a plane and showing up at events with his whole crew to promote, look at digital projection. This is a 2K presentation at a Sony Theater. Look at how cool this is. And, you know, you get invited to go to this. And kind of afterwards, you have drinks and talk to him and stuff. It was very uh, interesting. But asked two questions. And one of them, one of my questions was, how do you think the industry would be different if the edit droid would have taken off outside of Avid? It was one. And the other one, I knew they'd never ask it, was, I know you're a fan of Akira Kurosawa. What if somebody came around and said, hey, you know that old VHS or the movie that you love so much? We'd like to take it from you because we have the new version that, you know, has these changes to it. Would you gladly give that old version up in trade for the new one because you respected the artist so much? Or would you want to hold on to that other one as sacred because that's the you know the inspirational one and i would always those are the kind of questions i always like that how would you feel mm. because that's what people are saying to you is no one got motivated because uh there was a film uh, festival of greatest films of of the 70s i mentioned that before too he would not submit the original print of star wars he could only do the special edition which is not the same thing as a 1970s film it, mm. the technology is not even the same so and and none of the you didn't get any questions answered. I did. My, out of all that, my question about the edit droids is the one that got answered. And he talked for twenty minutes, and that was when I sort of I learned about him. And we'll come back to this later. But I've never obviously I've never met him. I've never spoken to him before. But that was the one time that I get an intimate um, idea. Everything else is why would he do this? Why did he do this? Why everything? Everything's speculation for all of our parts except for people that know him. And that night. I kind of got a window into something that I never expected. The whole idea of taking somebody else's uh, movie and re-editing it wasn't something that I invented. It's actually something I got from him. He, in one of his interviews, said that he would re-edit uh, some of his filmmaker friends' movies on a movie, uh, movieola or a movie scope, that uh, he would get a black and white, strike a black and white print, and where he felt they went off with the storytelling, he would cut that out and basically give it back to Steven Spielberg, to Ron Howard, and say, these are my thoughts on it. Obviously, he was a friend or a producer of the project, and he would hand it back to him, and they were willing to take his advice or, or not. But I always thought, wow, what a great idea, because lots of people can just sit around and talk about things, like, oh, I think you should do this, I think you should do that. But for once, you finally visually get to see something and look at it and go, wow, I, I didn't even imagine it that way. But seeing it, seeing it like this, you're right. Or I feel strong about my ideals. I don't want to do it that way. Yeah, I find, and, and you know, I've, I've passed on the the Phantom Minute to like tons of friends when it's, you know, it comes up and and we should preface, you should have the original copy. You should purchase that to uh, to make sure everyone gets their, their money in the right direction. And, I have, I have more than done that. Mm -hmm. I have, I, oh, have yeah. I have many formats. Yeah, me, too. me too. With the commentary you have and the choices you make, now let's let's talk about 
one of my favorite things that you've done is what you call Jar Jar antics. Mm-hmm. And it, your theory is that every scene there's very serious you know, issues or problems that are set up for our heroes and the tension, that bubble of tension is popped at the end of every scene because Jar Jar's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's sort of, well, this isn't that serious if you've got, you know, like like Goofy in the corner, you know, having a good time. So Jar Jar's still in the film, but he's just not, like, he knows to shut up when they're talking about people dying and stuff like that. I I guess if the, the whole idea about him still being in the movie was that's you know I didn't write the movie I didn't uh, you know none of us wrote it but his whole idea is he thought that was something that needed to be in the movie and honestly it's a little bit like the Ewok characters and that they show up and they seem like they lack the technology to do anything mm-hmm. but because you lack the technology all that spirit and stuff ends up being something that overtakes this like technology driven empire and it's like that's really inspiring uh, I I loved his 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 thought on that so the idea of Jar Jar being something that is an insignificant character that Qui-Gon Jinn sees. I see potential in this, and his arc would be at the very end, he kind of helps. That whole story through what George Lucas has in there, it's haphazardly maybe there, not there. Uh, Even at the end when he gives up, like it's not somebody to put a medal on, even the whole character that he created. It's it's silliness. Okay, so that... Towards the end, they're Jar Jar surrounded by battle droids, yeah. and he says, "I give up." Yeah, and then at the end of the film, he's one of the the people that are getting this award for bravery. And in the next movie, he's been upgraded to a general. So when Amidala is uh, going to leave, she actually puts him in charge, and you're thinking, "Wait a second, <laughs> why would you do that?" It's maybe uh, a better insight on how politics actually works in that, the real that, world. That is very, that's a commentary in itself. <laughs> the layers. Now, let's just go through the timeline. Of, of To hear the full episode, along with hundreds of hours of bonus content, I would invite you to check out the Steel Wars Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash steel wars for just three dollars a month you get a dedicated rss feed that easily pastes into any podcast app you use sending the complete archives of steel wars episodes along with bonus patreon exclusives like movie commentaries q a's and shows like the Making Steel Wars show, which I make exclusively for Patreon members with Jason Ward of MakingStarWars.net, where we try to find the news behind the news. Plus, you'll get the bonus segments from the call-in shows, which sometimes can be over an hour. And as well as all the bonus content, you get that warm glow that you are supporting this show you listen to each week week. The idea behind Patreon is if lots of people chip in a little bit of cash, that content producers such as myself can still keep producing for you guys while still being able to feed our very cute Ewok looking cats. There's a hungry cat involved in this guys, as well as some sweet, sweet content. Check out all the super fun tiers 
and all the shows you're missing out on at patreon.com forward slash steel wars. And may that force be with you. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.